Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on April 18, 2018, focusing on tax reform's impact on fixed assets. The panelists for the webcast were Brad White, a PwC tax partner and leader of our accounting methods and fixed assets practice, and Nina O'Connor, Tom Dunn, and Ann Andrews, all PwC tax partners as well with our accounting methods and fixed assets practice. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists, providing a general overview of the bonus depreciation rules and implications under tax reform. Take a listen. So as I said, this is really going to be a discussion. And Nina, I want to turn it to you because I want you to talk about what generally has been the first conversation you've had with your clients after the enactment of tax reform. Thanks, Brad. I would say bonus depreciation, hands down. Questions, concerns, issues, how does that affect what I'm currently doing? Is there planning? You know, is there anything I should be thinking about? But their first reaction was, mm, it's probably not a whole lot that I need to do because I could just expense everything. Mm-hmm. And then we start to get into a little bit more detailed discussion. And obviously, as you all know, there's lots of nuances, lots of creativity, lots of things that you could do to optimize your tax position. Mm-hmm. So Congress comes out with this very interesting bonus depreciation timeline, starting with 1-1-2017. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of 9-27, but effective as of 9-27, assets that qualify otherwise obviously now do have the opportunity to um, get 100% bonus depreciation. So we're going to talk through that. But one of the things I wanted to point out, and I'm not sure everybody's focused on it, is it's just a mere four years later, that this starts to dissipate pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by 2026, there is no bonus depreciation currently. So effectively, planning, thinking through how you can maximize this opportunity in this year and then the next few years out is critical. So lots of things have stayed the same. Lots of things have changed. Um, I'd like to talk about the concept. I'm going to say probably the most asked question is about the written binding contract concept. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that affect me? What do I need to do? And the number one question is, if I have entered into a written binding contract prior to September 28, 2017, but place my asset in service subsequent to that time, mm-hmm. do I get 100% bonus depreciation for that semi-fourth quarter that they have laid out? And the answer is, No, you do not, if it is qualified written binding contract. Now, the written binding contract concept isn't that easy. Um, From a practical standpoint, I would say my clients have spent anywhere from a lot of time to try to figure out what they can get into that three-month period, um, as as others are just throwing up their hands and saying, you know what, I have thousands of contracts. I'm not really sure how to analyze them, what's the best approach, Um, and it is state bound. So it is, you're bound by the state laws in terms of what qualifies as a written binding contract. Um, so what I advise my clients and what we talk through typically is where are your, your, your biggest assets? Where are the largest ones? Can you get back to those contracts? And can you look at what those um, agreements are? Can you look at what those terms are? 
and make sure you're really bound by that written binding contract or if there's a way to get out of it or if you want to, again, make sure that you're getting into that three-month period at the end to get the 100% bonus depreciation. And I know, Anne, you had a story that you were just telling me before about how complex this could be, especially as it relates to self-constructed assets. Right. right, yeah, I have a client who um, has started, actually I have a couple of clients who started some construction um, prior to September 28th, so obviously it was well before the, uh, the enactment date for, for the 100% bonus. And, you know, started, started the construction of some fairly large facilities won't go into service, be placed into service until 2018, in one case 2019. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, you know, are they subject to the written binding contract rule? And, and the answer to that is it depends and hopefully we're going to get some guidance. <laughs> um, you know, particularly with self-constructed assets, we've got to look at the componentization aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's just so many different elements to try to figure out, you know, what is a written binding contract. We obviously have the old rules, but we don't know whether or not the old rules as they were written are the ones that are going to be applicable here. And so, you know, the answer is it sort of remains to be seen. Mostly what I have is clients who are really trying to be thoughtful, really trying to make sure that they're thinking about um, is there a reasonable approach to trying to assess whether or not their assets were subject to a written binding contract, taking a look at things like purchase orders and, you know, whatever other documentation they can find. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Go back. <laughs> Thanks. Um, just a couple other bullets on, on, on this slide. Um, really critical, um, too, is one of the big changes is that um, assets that um, are used are now eligible for bonus depreciation. Um, so I don't think most companies are in the business of buying used property. Um, there are some, but probably most not. But where we see this to be a significant opportunity and something that you all should be thinking about is um, within mergers and acquisitions. So if you're purchasing a company um, with an asset purchase, clearly all of those assets that are eligible, would be other, eligible otherwise, um, would be bonus depreciation, would be able to get bonus depreciation, which is a, a big game changer for mergers and acquisitions. It's, it's probably one of the few things, at least now, that made life easier, thankfully. I mean, before you had to think new or used. Now, at least, that's gone, because everything else in the reform tended to make things harder. And then we just talk about, are we going to get guidance, as Ann said, a little clearer guidance in terms of, um, particularly as it relates to self-constructed property, you know, with the written binding contract, you know, similar to the Revenue Procedure 2011-26. We hear that it's going to come out, um, so hopefully it will come out soon. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so what qualifies and what doesn't qualify? Um, similar to what it's been in the past, um, it's the 12-year assets, 12-year property, 12-year life property, or recovery property or less, um, which is mostly your tangible personal property, 1245 property. 20 I think year. you meant 20. But what did okay. I say? <laughs> 12. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thinking of 1245 property, like Brad's Twitter handle. That's right. Sorry. Brad, 1245, but it's not 12 year, 1245 property. Thank you. And it's just right there on the bullets. <laughs> um, uh, computer software, and then uh, water utility property, and then the two newer ones are if you're in film and television production or qualified live theatrical production. What is specifically excluded from bonus depreciable property? Um, same thing, regulated public utility trades, traded property, and then um, an interesting, and I think there's a lot of detail 
um, very specific to floor, floor plan financing debt. Mm -hmm. So if you, the assets that you've purchased are subject to that, that is not bonus eligible. Um, we, uh, for some reason, get the question all the time still, same as it was before, is goodwill subject to or gets the opportunity for um, bonus depreciation? And the answer is no. Um, that's still out. The, the, the next area that I'd like to spend a little time with is um, qualified improvement property. Now, this has definitely been, uh, I would say, the second most important question that clients are asking after written binding contract. So just a refresher, qualified improvement property is um, improvements made to the interior of a building, um, excluding elevators and escalators, um, or internal structural um, uh, building parts. Mm -hmm. so, so QIP, you know, can you take bonus depreciation? Can you not take bonus depreciation? How does that all kind of fall out? And um, New tax reform really redefines QIP for assets placed in service subsequent to 1231-2017, so as of 1-1-18. And that QIP brings into the old rules of um, leasehold improvements, the um, uh, restaurant, qualified restaurant, and um, qualified retail. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to you know, look at that all holistically, but the, the question is, from the period of 9-28-2017 to 12-31-2017, can you take bonus depreciation on qualified improvement property as long as it is qualified improvement property? And the answer is yes, you can, because the old rules are still in effect for that period. Mm -hmm. So you actually can take a qualified improvement property for that period of time. Big question that clients ask, and again, it is eligible. And even if the hundred percent of it was, if you didn't have any other kind of construction or binding contract issue, right? That's correct. Okay. That is correct. Um, so, unfortunately, as of one one two thousand eighteen, um, it is not bonus eligible. It wasn't assigned a life that would make it allow it to be mm -hmm. bonus eligible. Um, so you're really kind of stuck at that 39-year life mm -hmm. and not bonus eligible. We are really confident that there's going to be some sort of technical correction because that wasn't the intent of Congress, um, but we'll see. And hopefully that will come out before October 15th filing deadline. We can always hope. <laughs> Okay, elections. What do you need to do for bonus depreciation? So there's just three main buckets. You've got 100% bonus depreciation, which is your default if it is qualified for bonus depreciation for um, the period 928 through 123117. Mm -hmm. You get bonus depreciation. Um, but you can elect out of bonus depreciation completely for the year. That's an option as well or you can elect 50% bonus depreciation. And people would say, well, wh why, if you're gonna take bonus depreciation, why would you do 50% and not 100% if you're interested in taking the additional deduction? And I'm gonna say most of my clients probably don't have the capability of doing it because their ER system, ERP system that is producing the tax depreciation just isn't quite flexible enough. So Tom, I don't know if you have any thoughts on yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of things digging into that one. The, the systems themselves 
clearly have the ability to do it, but in a lot of ways, your ERP, when you close your financial books, you kind of have to have your election set, at least for that year. And because of the, the speed of reform, because there's a lot of uncertainty, is it 50, is it 100, do I have a quality of improvement? People just weren't able to get those in time. So in a lot of ways, this 50% election would allow you to not think through, we'll do it, so some of it 100, if I didn't get it in my books before I closed, they'd have that piece. But just in general, the 18, when we have our ERPs and what's, what's happening today, I mean, like, for example, if we were defaulting to 15 year for a qualified leasehold or a qualified retail. That's all gone. That should be going back to 39. Is bonus being taken where it shouldn't be taken? Is it being taken at the correct rate? All of those issues right now um, are, are people are having to work through just because the ERPs aren't updating automatically and they're having to, to get to the right spot. Yeah, and that's absolutely what I've been observing with all of my clients. It's just, I need to take the easy route. I got to get through this. I'm just going to take 50%, although I would love to be able to expense more. Nina, in some circumstances, when, when my clients are actually focused on 2007 taxable income as it relates to trying to do modeling around what the impact of the transition tax is, we've had a number of conversations around, do I elect out, do I not? Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to modeling and, and companies that are just focused on what is my taxable income? That would be the other scenario where they may choose to make an election or not. And one of the key things on that, Brad, is that you know if you're making that election, it is for the entire year. So the only time you get two different rates in 2017 is if you do what the default is, which I mean, as you pointed out, is 100% from that that pseudo fourth quarter, right? 928 through the end of the year, and 50% for the for the 2017 preceding 928. But if you're electing into 50%, well, obviously, then it's 50% for the entire year. And if you're electing out, then you're electing out of all of it for the entire year. So mm -hmm. that's one of the key things I've also had to have discussions with my clients about. Yeah. So state impact, um, because of the federal rate um, reduction and uh, many, many, many states decoupling from federal, there's a lot of state tax depreciation planning opportunities. And I'm going to say most of my clients probably don't track all of their assets on a state-by-state -state basis, um, just because in the past it probably wasn't that material. But now going forward, again, because there's going to be so much nonconformity and, and, and the state tax rate becomes a bigger play because of the federal tax rate being reduced so much, clients really need to be focused on that as well. Yeah, the, the, we, we expect, I mean, right now I think it's just Illinois that's really put their stake in the ground saying we're actually going to allow the 100%, but we're all anticipating that there's going to be more decoupling or more interesting types of calculations than there had been in the past. And to your point, if you have no basis in all of your bonus eligible property, your state deferred becomes that much more yeah. material. So this is maybe an area that people haven't been as focused on that they might need to be now, depending on what their, what their position looks like or what their auditor wants. Mm -hmm. So, what should you do? What should you be thinking about um, in light of all these moving parts with bonus depreciation? And again, going back to our clients, they are absolutely looking at acquisition placed in service date. If they're trying to optimize their position, getting as much as they can into post two thousand, post nine twenty seven two thousand seventeen, and you know before the end of the year, um, looking at asset acquisition strategies and related timelines, you know, can you accelerate? Can you purchase more, um, you know, towards the end of the year? Were you able to do that? Can you get it into that bonus uh, depreciation timeframe? Mm -hmm. Going back to the M&A, you know, 
big game changer in terms of being able to take bonus depreciation on um, used assets. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the last bullet talks about, um, to, to Brad's point and his wife misunderstanding the actual tax Don't say law. she misunderstood anything. <laughs> That'll get me in trouble. Uh, okay. Um, lack of experience. Thank you. <laughs> with um, actually, you know, how this might work. You know, again, the, I, I, I started off by saying everybody thought oh, everything's 100% expensable. You know, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, clearly real property, 1250 properties, is, is not bonus eligible. Um, so you're looking to maximize as much as you can into 1245 property. Mm -hmm. So cost segs have been very nice in the past. I think are even becoming more critical in the future just so you have that option, you have that opportunity <clears throat> to reclassify as much as you can into the 100% bonus opportunity. So to, yeah, to further expand on that, the easiest and most effective and efficient way of getting the most amount of property into 1245 property is to do it while the activity is occurring, whether it's a new build or you know a remodel or something that you're doing. So getting that data, getting that information, and doing it almost on a real-time basis. So we've done historical fixed asset projects, which Anne's going to touch on a little bit in terms of the rate play, which has been fabulous. But on a go-forward basis, these cost segs have got to be a critical part of your day-to-day -day operations. You know, you're, you're, you're purchasing something that has any significance. You absolutely need to be doing a cost segregation. And I think potentially the volume and in many cases, at least in my client base, <coughs> oftentimes we focused on the largest facility or the new facility, the new plant, the new office building. Uh, we didn't focus in on the smaller $1 million, $2 million, $5 million, $10 million projects. And I think it's going to be more relevant now to take that scope down just from focusing on the largest to, to focusing on everything. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.